Amen. Good morning. Let's take our Bibles today and, and let's turn to Ezra, Ezra, and let's stand together out of respect for God's Word. We'll look at um, Ezra chapter 7, is where we'll start, Ezra 7. I've enjoyed uh, my time being here, and um, I... Uh, Hope I get to see you guys again sometime, but I know I will because I'm, as I mentioned last night, I'm shoplifting some of your music CDs, and I'll see your picture on that. Um, good to see you. Sorry you camped this summer. Is anybody else here who was at summer camp? Yeah. Uh, there you are. You, you and your brother look a lot alike, you know that? <laughs> are you twins? Oh, oh. I didn't know. Okay. All right. So anyway, it's uh, good to see some of you, uh, all of you. I shouldn't say some of you. That could be bad. Okay. But praise, amen for the good things. And I think, I believe that the best thing about the week is that God has been leading. That's what's made it good. All right. And here's where he's leading this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles, Ezra chapter 7. I want to look at uh, verse 1. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sinaiah, and then it says several names. Look at verse 6 then. This Ezra, the son of Sinaiah, went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his request, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So he requested of the king that he could go to Jerusalem and share the word of God. And then it says um, that he, uh, in Ezra uh, 7 and verse 10, did something pretty incredible we're going to talk about today. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, the law of the Lord, and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now, flip over to Nehemiah, and I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 8. And um, that's right after Ezra, by the way. If you don't know the books of the Bible, you better learn those. That would be embarrassing if you're a Bible college student. Okay. But anyway, then you find in Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord God had commanded Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until evening. And it says that Ezra and the men, in verse 8, gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, and we pray, Lord, that it will be a significant impact. And we pray for your blessing and guidance. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, the Bible says that Ezra was a ready scribe, and I like the term ready scribe. 
I want to be a ready scribe, don't you? Now, it says that he had a ministry. Now, it's interesting. What's the name of this place? Bib what is it? Biblical College of what? What? <laughs> Baptist College of what? Ministry. ministry. Okay. So, this is a place of ministry. And Ezra had a ministry. And he was ready for it. And he was effective because he was a ready scribe. Now, as he was a ready scribe, the reason he became a ready scribe is because he set his heart to get ready. He set his heart. And how did he set it? He set his heart to know the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. And so he was a ready scribe for his ministry because he set his heart to be ready. So what do we need to do? Set our what? Hearts. To do what? To be ready. And is it going to happen if we just go at it nonchalantly? No, we've got to do what? Set our hearts. So it has to happen for us to be in ministries. We have to set our hearts to do it and to be ready, scribe, for when the time comes around. So we've got something to do with what happens in the future if we're going to set our hearts today to prepare. And heart, it's not just, well, I'm going to pass, but there's a heart thing in it because I've got a ministry that I want someday to be a helpful ministry and influential for the, word, for the work of God and the good of men. Now then... It says that he went up when the king granted it to him to go to Jerusalem. And I read a little bit, so I would be a ready scribe to teach you something that would help you. And you know what I read? It took him four months to get from where he was to where he preached. Four months. Now, how many years does it take you typically to get an undergrad degree? Four. All right, what if it took you four months to get to where God's place of service is for you? Would it be worth it? What if it took you four years to get to God's place of ministry for you? Would that be worth it? Yes or no? Amen. What if it took you even longer? Now, what happened with Ezra is Ezra went to Jerusalem for four months. But his pulpit ministry actually didn't even start then in its greatest way. He went to Jerusalem in 458 B.C. Thirteen years later, in 445 B.C., Nehemiah showed up. And then Nehemiah gets all these people rallied, and Nehemiah does his part. They build the walls. And they're all working together where God wants them to be. And then they come together. Nehemiah, Ezra, all these people. Then the pulpit ministry began. So you know what that meant? It took him four months to get there. And it took him 13 more years later before he ever actually had that powerful impact. Now, if it took you four years instead of four months, and even if it took you a couple extra years because a seminary or something else God might have for you to do, and you got to the place of powerful ministry, would it be worth it? 
But how is it going to ever happen? You have to set your heart to be there, okay? And the way it gets done is when you're still in Babylon, uh, uh, so to speak, and you're not yet at your place of destination. When Ezra was back in Babylon, he set his heart to, and that's what made him a ready scribe. Now, I want to speak to you this morning about Ezra's powerful pulpit, and um, I just want to drive a thought home, but we're going to have two or three points along the way. Now, first of all, I want to talk to you about Ezra's pulpit. Now, we know that it was made out of wood, and I mentioned yesterday that a plastic pulpit is not a real pulpit. But I'm talking simply about the place where he taught the Word of God. But it's not the pulpit, it's what he did when he was on that pulpit. What he did was he taught the Word of God. Now, teaching the Word of God is really what we're going to do. Whether we're going to be with our children's church, or whether we're going to be in a youth evangelistic revival meeting, or if we're going to be in a senior citizen nursing home, or if we're going to be in a Bible study with the ladies, or if we're going to be in any place of ministry. Teach the Word of God. And why? Because that is what will work. And that is the only thing that will work. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.16, uh, 4.16 to Timothy, Paul said, Take heed of thyself and to the doctrine, continue in them, and in doing this you'll save thyself and them that hear thee. And you know what he said? Just give them the doctrine. Give them the doctrine. Keep continuing giving the doctrine. It'll work. Now, when you wonder if you're going to be effective like you need to be, I remember talking to my son just two weeks ago who was a pastor, and he said to me, Dad, people make this preaching thing a little harder than it really is sometimes. I said, well, what do you mean? Because a lot of times I'm scared to death when I get behind the pulpit. He said, well, Dad, all it is is you study the Bible and you tell them what it says. It's not that hard. And he's right. Now, what is hard is coming up with an illustration that's funny. What is really hard is coming up with something that's entertaining. And what's really hard is trying to be a comedian when you're not so good at it. The only time I really make somebody laugh is on accident, usually. Then I pretend I meant to do that. But then what is hard is when you're into that entertainment mindset and when you're trying to give people what they want stuff. But what's easy is just learn what the Bible says and give it, and that'll work. And you'll always be effective and have a powerful pulpit if you follow Ezra's example. Just give the Word of God. Now, whenever I go soul winning, even today, when I'm not even in a pulpit, I want to be used by God in the pulpit, but I want to be used by God out of the pulpit, don't you? And so when I'm not in the pulpit, I still preach. What do I do? I use the Word of God. Whenever I go soul winning, I use the Word of God. If I give a lady a gospel track, her, her uh, hair's in curlers, her telephone's ringing, kids are screaming, kitchen's on fire, and she said, I have an appointment I'm supposed to be at 10 hours ago, and I'm late. I'll say, ma'am, you look like you're a little bit busy. Let me just give you something to read. 
give you one Bible verse. 1 John 5, 13. These things are written. You may know you have eternal life. Here's gospel track. Read it. And then when you get time, read it, and it'll tell you how to get to heaven. Now, what did I do? I quoted a Bible verse, or at least a portion of it. Why? 1 John 5, 13. These things are written. You may know they have eternal life because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And I jabbed the knife in the sword of the word, and then the Holy Spirit can produce faith with it. Faith, help, change, building, all of this is accomplished by just giving them the Bible. And you always think, what biblical truth do, do I know that they need to know? And then you tell it, and it will work. I went into a Hardy's restaurant to buy my wife a Diet Coke. She's a Diet Coke-aholic, and it was time for her fix. So I went in and I said, real quick, can I get that Diet Coke, the largest you've got? And the lady behind the counter said, sir, can I ask you a question? What do you do for a living? Because I had a suit on. And evidently she thought it was a senator or something. And I said, well, I'm a preacher. And I could tell she was thinking, oh, no, I shouldn't have asked that. <laughs> so then I asked her, do you know if you die, you go to heaven? She said, no, I don't believe in God, let alone heaven or hell. And I said, well, why don't you believe in God? And she says, if there's a God, why is there so much pain in the world? Now, instead of saying, you either turn or burn, I decided maybe she's hurting a little bit. So instead of getting upset, I says, hey, have you had some problems? Have you been through some difficult times? And then she said, yeah. And then she explained her difficulty. And she said, if God is so good, why would he do that? And I said, you don't know me, but I think I can help you. And uh, do you know what she had told me? I said, well, the Bible says, this is why the pain's there. She said, I don't believe the Bible. I don't only believe in God, let alone the Bible. And I said, why don't you believe in God? And she said, if there's a God, why is there so much pain in the world? So that's when I said to her, you don't know me, but would you be willing to meet with me here at Hardy's Restaurant tomorrow? I can show you some answers that I think will be a help to you. And somehow she agreed to meet. I wondered, how am I going to help somebody who doesn't believe in God? How am I going to help somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible? And we have a generation like that that we're going to have to minister to. And so the only thought I could think of is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so what I decided to do was just use my Bible anyway. So she asked a question and I said, well, the Bible says this. And she said, I told you I don't believe the Bible. I said, I know, but this is what I believe is your answer. Just look at it. It won't hurt you. And I read it to her. I said, do you understand? And she, she said, yes. So she asked another question, and I said, well, read this. She said, I told you I don't believe the Bible. I said, I know, but just read it. It won't hurt you. Just look at it. This is what, in my opinion, is your answer. And so she read it. And I said, what do you think it means? And she explained it. And she got it right. The Bible's easy to understand. And then she asked another question. I said, here's your answer. I don't believe it. I said, I know, but you know that's what I think is your answer. So I showed it to her, and then she'd ask another question, and I said, here's this answer. And she quit saying that. I don't believe it. She just looked at it. And I spent two hours and ten minutes with her at Hardy's restaurant. And at the last ten minutes, I said, Barb, I have to leave but do you mind if I take the last 10 minutes and tell you why 
I believe that the Bible is the word of God. And she said, you don't have to do that. I believe it now. And I said, why do you believe it? She says, because every question I ask that books got an answer for. And so what we do to have a powerful impact is just do what Ezra did. Give the Bible and give the sense it'll work. All right, so, and we're getting to Ezra's powerful pulpit. First, you look at his pulpit. He just used the Word of God, period. And so whenever you're counseling and whenever you're ministering, whether children or whether adults, whether senior citizens or youth group, just find a biblical truth and preach it. It's not hard. It will work. Of course, um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, I want to look at Ezra's powerful impact. Secondly, now, as you look at his impact, it was powerful in that it led to many things. One, it led to change. All right, look at Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 14. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths. And it talks about Verse 15, that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mountain, fetch out olive branches, pine branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of thick trees to make booths. And then verse 16, so they went forth and they brought them and they made themselves booths. And then they went out and they lived in those booths. And they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles and they went out and they went in the booths. Now, why were they to go out into those booths? It was something that God told Moses to tell the people to do. Why? So they could remember what God had done for them. Now, it was a command that they were supposed to do. And here's what happened. When he preached, people changed. And they did what God wanted them to do. Now, what caused that change? You may say, well, it's only a booth. It's no big deal. It's a big deal because it's obedience. It's a big deal because it brings men to remember God. It's a big deal because it brings men to remember what God did for them. And it is a big deal. Now, what led to that change? His pulpit. And just giving the law of the Lord. And he had to know it to give it. And it led to change. And it was powerful in its impact. Now, how powerful? Do you know what the Bible says in verse 17? Look at it. It says, All the congregation of them that were there come out again into captivity, both booths that sat under the booth. For since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, until that day had not the children of Israel done so. Now, do you know how many years went by since the day of Joshua until the day of Ezra? 800 years. Now, think of this. 800 years, man, that's long. Would you agree? Now, do you think that a culture can get out of God's will for 800 years and then get back in it? It happened with Ezra. Can a culture be messed up 
and just disregarding the commands of God for 800 years and start doing them? Can a culture be doing sin and stop after 800 years of doing it habitually and just flippantly? Well, I think of Josiah. And for 800 years, they were beating the drums. 800 years, they were sacrificing the babies to Molech. And then Josiah said, we're not going to do that. And he stopped that practice. So for 800 years, it went on. And 800 years later, it changed. And it was the powerful change. Why? Because of Ezra's pulpit. And so what's going to change people is if you have a powerful pulpit when you get out of here. Now, our emphasis is not on how big the powerful pulpit you will have. And my emphasis and thought that I want to give you is not necessarily on how to do it as far as by preaching the word, but that's something that I'm giving us. His powerful impact led to change. It led to conviction. It says that they were sorry for what they did and they wept. It led to repentance. It says that they confessed their sin. They fasted in chapter 10 in sackcloth and they can their sin in chapter 10 verse 1 and 2 or chapter 9 verse 1 and 2 excuse me and then it led to uh, joy because it says that in Nehemiah 8 that Nehemiah Ezra and these people who preached said don't be sorry let's rejoice this is a wonderful day to the Lord and what I'm saying is preaching has a powerful impact when we do it. And it's not just people don't go to hell. It's that, it's that, but it's people are filled with joy. People are changed. Lives are affected. And you want a powerful impact. The way you have your powerful impact is if you do a pulpit ministry or a Sunday school ministry or raise a family ministry, or a nursing home ministry, or a one-on-one witnessing opportunity, the same way Ezra did. Just use the word. It'll work. Counseling ministry. How am I going to help this person who's bitter? How am I going to help this person who's suicidal? How am I going to help this person who's a slave to sin? The same way Ezra did. Just use the word. Now, this is the thought that I really want to hit. It is, he set his heart to seek the law of God. And he set his heart to do it. And he set his heart to teach it. Now, first thing we looked at is his, his pulpit. He used the word. Second thing we looked at is his powerful uh, impact. And because he had that pulpit and he used it right, there was a powerful impact. And that's what we want. It's Baptist College of Ministry. If it takes you four months to get where you need to go, and if it takes you four years to get where you need to go, if it takes you seven, 13 years even beyond that to get fin finally to that pulpit, it'll be worth it when you get there if you follow point three, which is his preparation, okay? If you take seriously point three, his preparation is he set his heart. 
Now let's turn in our Bibles back here to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. When you're, when you're preparing now, you are setting your heart now. If you will set your heart right now, you're going to have a powerful impact to help people in the future, to bring people to God. And do you want a powerful ministry? You have to do something today. All right, now notice what it says to make him a ready scribe in Ezra 7 and verse 10. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the Lord the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach Israel statutes and judgments. Now, the first thing he did was he set his heart. Now, some of you say, well, I'm going to take four years, and I'm going to learn how to be a great preacher. I'm going to learn how to be a great Christian musician. I'm going to learn and study and learn how to do this thing. Let me tell you something. You're not going to learn from a book, how to be an effective preacher, it's got to be in your heart. The Bible says you got to get your heart ready before you can be effective in the ministry of the pulpit. Your heart's got to be what it needs to be. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It says the heart is what makes life what it is. And the heart is going to be where it needs to start if there's going to be effective ministry. The example of Ezra. He set his heart first. Now, the key to being ready 13 years from now, 17 years from now, four months from now, if it comes sooner, the key to being ready is what you do with your heart right now. Set your heart. Set means be passionate about this thing, not casual about it. To set means to be determined about it. To set means committed, set, unwavering. Heart is different than head. Heart is the seat of affection. Heart is the seat of passion. Heart is where it's got to be, not head. And if the heart is there, the head will get it. But you've got to set your heart first. Now, what do you have to set your heart to do very easily, clearly, to seek the law of the Lord? Now, do you see the word of God today as a treasure to you? More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. And the Bible teaches that the psalmist sought the treasure of the word of God more than he sought silver and gold. And why? Because there's more value in this book than there is in any gold or silver. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. Um, I can remember hearing about how much time it took to do a hand copy of the Word of God. The king had to do a hand copy of the Word of God. And as he copied it by hand, it took a long time. 
but every king had to copy the Word of God himself. He couldn't pick up the former king's copy. The command was you copy it by hand. And how much time did it take him to do it? Now, he just had the law, so Pentateuch, he didn't have all of the Gospels that we have in the New Testament, but it still took a long time. One man said that before the printing press came, the only way men had the Word of God was they had to have hand copies of it. And I thought, hmm, I guess so. So 1440, not all that long ago, the printing press came out. Before that, if you ever wanted a copy of the Word of God that you've got in your hand today, they had to hand write it. One writer said it took 100 days to hand write it. Another person said it took 10 months to hand write it. I don't know which one's right, but either one, that's a long time. And I also read that it, in 1871, one man said, that it would have cost $1,500 today if you wanted a copy of this Bible. And you know what? If you do inflation today, you know what that would come up to? It would be over $32,000 today to buy one copy of the Word of God. That's a treasure. Now, what we have in our hand is the wisdom of God. It's a treasure, and we need to desire this and understand it more to be desired of the, the more desired than gold, gave them much fine gold. It is a great treasure. And a treasure, you think of value. Now, this is saying that there is value in this book. This book has the answers. This book. Now, his preparation was take heed to do it. Now, why did he say, I'm going to set my heart to learn it, and then he said, I'm going to set my heart to do it because of its value? Now, setting your heart to do it and setting your heart to learn it. I want to ask you first, have you set your heart to learn it? I remember one of the guys that I was in college with, we had midterms, and when midterms came around, he was just goofing off. I said, what are you doing? Don't you have tests coming up? And he said, yeah, but I already know what I have in my class. I've already got a B, and the worst thing could happen is if I fail it, I'd get a C. And he says, so it's no big deal to me. He said, I'm not going to blow my brains out trying to learn this stuff. And you know what? He coasted his way, and his only concern was just to pass. That's horrible when you've got a mission ahead of you. I certainly want... I would not want that surgeon to be my surgeon. I certainly would not want that doctor to be my doctor, and I absolutely would not want that preacher to be my preacher. Now, what is your heart toward this preparation? Set your heart. I'm going to learn this. Are you doing it? Or are you like that guy who had that heart that it was so flippant and he had not set his heart to learn it he set his heart to get a job now set your heart class is important and the bible says to set your heart that's what Ezra did now less than your best is a sin and not only less than your best is a sin 
Less than your best is not acceptable when there's so much at stake. So set your heart. I will be committed to learning this. I want this. I treasure this. I'm going to learn it. This, this book. Now, I've got in my office a thick four-volume book all under one. It's Blackstone's Commentary on Law. Now, I picked it up, and I was looking through it because I was so concerned about the United States of America going away from the original forefathers and are changing laws, and man, we got to do something about it. And I picked up that book, and I thought, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to take it home, and I'm going to get familiar with the way things were so I can maybe say something and, and maybe bring us back to the laws of our original forefathers. But you know what? I picked that book up, I flipped through it, saw a few things, had a little heart stir there and there, and I put it on the shelf, I've never picked it up. And I have never read through that book because it's not really all that valuable in perspective. This book I've read all the way through. And this book is treasure, and this book is valuable. Now, he said, take heed, set your heart to get to know it. Number two, how do you prepare to be a ready scribe? Set your heart to do it. All right, let's look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy 4, 16. Set your heart. Commit to this thing. Get passionate about this. Set your heart to do it. Now, in 1 Timothy 4.16, probably, I think, the most important verse for any Bible college student or any preacher, whenever I am in an ordination council, I always try to get this in. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. and doing this, you'll save yourself and them that hear thee. Now, why did Solomon need to do it? Because he needed it. He'll save himself. Now, without the Bible, we will die. Without the Bible, we will wither. The psalmist, Psalms 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And what will be the result? He will be like a tree... He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. So you'll bear fruit. And then it says, his leaf also shall not wither. Now there are times when you want others to live for God and you get excited about that, but you can start to dry up yourself. And you can start to dry up in a Bible college. And it's been stated many times, one of the easiest places to backslide is in a Bible college. Because you're hearing it, you're hearing it, and you're hearing it, but you're not always hearing it. And that's why you got to keep that heart, set it to value this, to learn it, and set it to not just learn it, but to do it. And you will not wither. You will be strong. You will stay fresh. And you won't dry up. And you won't backslide. You'll save yourself from drying up. And you'll save your future and your joy and all the things that come with a relationship with God. And then we can help others if we do it. Now, when I was in a plane, I listened to the lady get up and she said, Now, listen to safety instructions. 
And if this thing comes down, an oxygen mask, you put it on your mouth, and you take your oxygen, and if you take your oxygen, then you put that oxygen mask on children and the elderly. Now, the first time I heard that and actually was thinking, I thought, why is it that they ask us to take the mask on ourselves first before we put it on children and before we ever put it on elderly? Well, that's kind of selfish. Shouldn't we put the mask on the elderly first and then the children and then on ourselves? But when you think about it, here's the reason. If you don't put the oxygen mask on yourself first and you pass out, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. Does that make sense? Now, I took emergency medical training, and when I took emergency medical training, one of the trainers taught us when you get to a scene and somebody's in an accident, you're going to want to run, and you're going to try to help them right away, and you're going to try to fix it, and you're going to try to get them better and all. He said, don't run. We said, well, why? He said, you walk fast, but don't run. Well, it's urgent. No, you walk briskly, you check out the scene, you make sure that it's safe to go, make sure that there aren't any guns firing, make sure there's not an explosion about to take place, and make sure you're not going to get injured. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of selfish. This person just was in an automobile wreck. And he said, the reason is this. If you're running and you trip and you break your leg, instead of helping somebody else, you'll have to have someone help you. If you get injured, you won't be able to help somebody else. So take heed to yourself first. Make sure you're what you need to be. And in order for us to be strong enough to lift somebody else up like we want to, we've got to be strong ourselves. So we have to do the Word of God for ourselves. And then take heed to teach it. Now, sometimes... We're not all passionate about teaching. And we need to be passionate about what we are here to do to learn and prepare, but eventually to get out there and teach it. Now, he said he set his heart to teach it. Now, you know what that means? It was a passionate thing for him that he had the opportunity to teach it. It wasn't just to learn it. He was one, as I've said, had that heart burning in his soul that he had to teach it. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And he had the passion in his heart. He said his heart that I have got to be able to preach this. And I have got to know what I'm saying. And I've got to get this to people. And folks, why? Because he was aware that somebody had to serve his generation and the only thing that would help it would be if he could teach him this book. Now listen, are you passionate about your call to teach? Are you passionate even now when you do get to teach? You teach third graders. Are you passionate when you teach a nursing home? Are you passionate when you give any ministry opportunity? Are you passionate? Ezra had a powerful pulpit because he set his heart to teach. This has to be done. Now, I read about David, and it says that David served his generation, and when he served his generation, he served his king. But he made a difference with his generation, and in our generation, we're going to make a difference in our generation if we are passionate that we must go and teach this message. Now, 
what sermon is the most important sermon that I'm preaching? I usually take this approach. I think the most important sermon that I ever preach is the one I'm preaching right now. If I'm preaching in a small church, the most important message I've ever preached in all of my life is the one I'm preaching right then. Why? Because preaching is powerful and it's the only way to help people and change the world. Last week I preached in church of 30 people and when I was there, it was the most important week of my life. Why? Because there was a lady, Kara, and there was her husband, Richard, and there was a little girl that was five years old named Aubrey and a little girl that was three years old and her name was Willow. And I got to see by the end of the week Mom and dad get saved. And you know what will probably happen? The two girls will eventually too. And life will be better and life will be different because I got to preach and I shared the word of God. Now, we're out of time, of course. But if I could just do one last thought with you and uh, one last attempt to make an impact for you for this year, I would say, would you set your heart today that you're going to learn this stuff? Amen? You're going to be passionate about it. It's not going to be a casual thing. You're going to set your heart. And I think what you should do is um, maybe look over this verse and ask God to help you and preach it to you. Ezra 7 and verse 10. And look at some things that you need to set your heart on at the beginning of this year. Of study. Amen? All right. Let's bow our heads.